0: Trek Companion, this is episode 167. I am your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar.
1: I'm Stephen Embry.
0: And today we are discussing the original series' second season episodes, A Private Little War, Return to Tomorrow, and Patterns of
1: Force. Here we go. A Private Little War, Season 2, Episode 19, Production Code 045, Original Air Date February Second, Nineteen 1968. Directed by Mark Daniels, Story by Judd Kruchus, Teleplay by Gene Roddenberry, Music Composed by Gerald Freed. Guest cast include Nancy Kobach as Nona, Michael Whitney as Tyree, Ned Romero as Krell, Arthur Bernard as Appella, Booker Bradshaw as Dr. Mabinga, Janos Prohaska as the Mugatu, Paul Baxley as Patrol Leader, Gary Pillar as Uton, Eddie Paskey as Lieutenant Leslie, William William blackburn is lieutenant hadley and roger holloway is lieutenant limley
2: the enterprise arrives at the planet Nurell, the third planet in the zeta booty system a planet with a pre-bronze age culture that a young lieutenant kirk surveyed years ago upon their arrival dr mccoy finds the planet is a medical treasure trove of materials needed for various serums and drugs kirk and Spock soon noticed a group of villagers crouching in the nearby rocks, apparently preparing for an ambush. Kirk is shocked to see they possess flint, long guns, and other firearms.
1: Just as a man must grow in his own way and in his own time...
0: Some men never grow.
1: Perhaps not as fast or in the way another thinks he should, but we are wise enough to know that we are wise enough not to interfere in the way of a man. Or another world.
0: All right, a private little war. Adam, why don't, you, why don't you start us on a private little war?
2: Private little war. Um, I'd have to say I, I kind of like this episode. It's kind of it's kind of goofy at times. You know, you have the um, you know the the <laughs> the I guess the the polar bear ape costume. Um, and there's some. I don't know. These are, it kind of has some moments that are just original series you know you have that whole um where the the wife is taking the poison away from kirk it's the high dramatic music she's flaring away you know i was thinking to myself it's kind of something that you know you wouldn't see in any of the other series it's just these kind of um the only things that you would see in the original series um now um like i said as i said the i enjoyed the episode i don't know if i would Say it was a good episode. I think I just enjoyed it for these these things that you just see in the original series.
0: Well, I know one thing I liked. This is kind of a common refrain for us. I like the you know Trek history that we get. You know, Kirk apparently recommended keeping this planet isolated or whatever 13 years earlier. We know he had a survey mission here or something. Another thing I definitely enjoyed. I like how very early on you know Kirk is deprived of Spock because Spock gets injured. And then he has to let, you know, after beaming down, he has to let the Enterprise go. So he kind of loses those two things that he counts on to uh, accomplish his mission. And I I kind of like the idea of him getting, you know, being forced to work without these things.
2: Just him and McCoy.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: Steve, what, what are some of your first thoughts on Private Little War?
1: Yeah, um, I agree. I mean, I don't think it's um, this is a great episode, but it's, it is interesting because of those of those things. And, and then, of course, McCoy being able to be more featured because of Spock's absence primarily. Um, of course, we also have the, uh, the Vietnam analogy stuff, um, pretty obvious here, which I think is interesting from a historical perspective. Um, I also thought there was a lot of... Um, kind of interesting, like, early on, you have that, that shot behind the back of Kirk and Spock, and, and the way that, he, that kind of, that kind of angle you don't see often in the original series very early on, that struck me as interesting, and, and then there's the crazy, uh, Spock fall thing, where, who's that guy where he gets, looks like he got, uh, <laughs> hit with a bazooka, or I don't know, it's something he just falls, <laughs> off, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's pretty funny, uh, but yeah, I, I certainly remember this episode. It's interesting. It's got those facets, the historical facets, but that's what I think of with this episode.
0: Yeah, this is one of those episodes where every time there's some like, you know, some mainstream news program or documentary or something that's not intended for the Star Trek hardcore, but just like for non-Star Trek people to like to show them. The original, Star Trek, the original series, was commented on the events of the day in a way that the networks never understood. Yeah, yeah. Always see that clip Mm -hmm. of of, uh, McCoy saying, yes, I remember those brush wars. They went on for bloody year after bloody year. I've seen that clip in those kinds of documentaries and think pieces or whatever so many times. (laughs) It drives me crazy, actually. I'm kind of curious what you guys thought of the Vulcan... Self-healing thing. Do we, we ever really see that again? I think it's an interesting idea, but maybe because it's not very visually interesting, I don't know. But I feel like we didn't have didn't really see that again. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I think this is the only time we see that, and it's a little odd. And um, the whole smacking and carrying on with Chapel and all that. Yeah, and
2: yeah, it's kind of the closest thing we'll see to a. B story in some of these episodes, you know, mm-hmm. you, you know, you have the, you know, you have the planet stuff going on and there's ship stuff going on with, um, with, um, Spock, you know, we just get to see another doctor care for him. So, I mean, that's kind of interesting to kind of see, you know, different facets of, um, you know, different people doing different jobs or new people doing different jobs.
1: It's almost like that someone decided we need to like, just, learn a little more, more Vulcan-y stuff, you know? So let's do it in this episode. And so that, you know, because otherwise it doesn't make a whole lot of sense just thrown in here like this, you know? It's like, well, you know, if he gets hurt, we can have some specialized Vulcan doctor, and then we could have some weird Vulcan thing that only Vulcans do to heal themselves. You know, it's like someone decided, let's just, we need to we need to talk more, some more Vulcan stuff, so let's throw something in there, you know? That's what it kind of feels like.
2: I don't know if it really played that well, because it kind of seemed, you know, we have to slap him to wake him up, so he, you know, it's just... <laughs> It was kind of seemed like a rate, a reach, even for volcanism. Yeah,
0: I like the idea that that the that the Vulcans are so like in tune with their bodies. I mean, I don't know. I don't know it's like uh, humans that that can slow their heart rates and whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, with their mind. You know, this this kind of control and that that's kind of interesting. And it and it and it's certainly in keeping with the kind of mind body Spirit uh, connection that we uh, have learned that Vulcans have, so I I think that's kind of interesting and stuff. But yeah, the way it actually plays out, you know, with the slapping is just silly, and then even the rest of the time he's just a Vulcan laying in a bed. You know, there's not yeah.
2: much. Yeah, um,
0: One thing I noticed, which I I know you know the original series reuses music a lot. Most of the time that doesn't bother me. Over the years, you know, I guess I guess we haven't really talked about that. Uh, it was for like. You know, legally they were allowed to do it back then, so why not save the money and, and reuse tracks? Mm-hmm. Right. That's not any th- something that any other Star Trek shows did, because there's different uh, union rules and legalities nowadays. But in the original series, they did it, saved money. And for most of us, I assume you guys feel the same way, in watching these shows over and over, some of the reuse of those music cues becomes... I don't know, It's it becomes a kind of a part of the show, and... and it it's kind of quaint and fun, and uh, you know, like the uh, Muck Time fight theme that we that they reuse in a billion episodes, or the the Mystery Woman theme from Menagerie that gets used all over the place. Mm-hmm. It becomes kind of like I don't know a piece of the show that that's fun in a way, like a I don't know a comforting. Food or something, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's cool. I don't mind it. If anything, sometimes it's kind of fun. But this is the rare episode where it doesn't work for me, because I feel like the reused tracks they don't really work tonally with the scenes. They kind of like they're they're fighting what's going, what the actors are doing in a weird way. Um, it makes it stick out. So when it when it feels like it's the wrong use, then it has the opposite effect. Mm-hmm. And this is the rare episode that uses recycled music and it doesn't match tonally and it messes up the episode a little bit for me. Is this something you guys kind of like consciously think about or, you know, you've just the, the way the music is reused in the show? And
1: I don't know if I consciously think about it and I didn't make any notes about it, but I've certainly noticed at times when things feel odd. Have there have been times when the music seems, I mean, ideally, if everything's working right, it's barely, you're really, barely conscious of it, you know, it's just like, oh, it's the, like you said, kind of like the, the fight music, and you, here we go, and all that, and it's not a big deal, but yeah, if it's obviously easy to, uh, if you choose the wrong track, your uh, things are going to seem odd, and I don't, I didn't make a note on this specific episode, but I, it seems like I have seen times watching these that something just doesn't feel quite right.
2: It's kind, of, um, you know, it's kind of the theme of this episode. This episode, to me, it, it kind of ends that way. It doesn't just doesn't feel very right when we come to the conclusion of this episode. Um, I guess when we kind of get into what it's about, I'll explain that further. But yeah, I, I, I can see what you're saying, Brian.
0: Well, let's do that. Um, so, uh, for what this episode is about, it's always been a little bit weird to me because it does seem like it's... Kirk feels strongly that... Arming both sides equally is the best solution. Um, he almost seems like he's arguing for the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that seems like arguing for violence or armament or you know, that kind of build up seems counter to the utopia that is Star Trek. It it seems counter to what I think of as Gene Roddenberry's philosophy. I mean, we all know he was a police officer, and he was in World War II and things. So he, I mean, he's not pacifist, anti-military. He's certainly not a pacifist, no. But taking it this far and and saying we need to arm both sides equally and escalate this, that always felt a little bit, you know, counter Star Trek to me. What do you guys think?
2: No, I would. I, that's what I was going to mention a minute ago. You know, there's um. Well, first off, they don't really delve much into why the Klingons are doing what they're doing. You know, it's kind of sophisticated what the Klingons are doing. They're kind of teaching them, these people, little by little. But I don't quite get the the motivation for why the Klingons are doing this. I don't know if it's to a- ally these people. I mean, you know, the Klingons that we know don't, don't care about that stuff. They just conquer the world. So I didn't quite get the motivation for there. And then, yeah, I kind of agree with you. Um, Brian, that um, you know, Kirk is in favor of the balance of power. That you know, we have to arm these people so they'll survive. You know, he kind of has that whole um, you know dialogue with McCoy about you know, like, well, they're they war even though they're at war, they'll still be alive. I just I just kind of felt wrong to me in you know the whole scheme of, of Star Trek. And then at the end, you know, just give them a hundred muskets. It just seemed a well, little well, the other people can make muskets, or why don't you teach them? So it just the whole ending just kind of seemed off to me and disconcerted. So,
0: But it's not, that certainly seems what the, the meaning that they intended, though. It's not like it accidentally came off that way, or maybe it was, you could go either way. I mean, it seems pretty clear to me.
2: Yeah, I know, but that's why it seems off. I don't know, what. yeah, it just doesn't feel right.
1: Yeah, but I agree. It, it doesn't feel in, compatible with the overall message of Star Trek, and that's why it's hard to, uh, I mean, because, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's pretty clearly about balance of power and uh, the cost, even if it costs lives and, and so on, that that's what you have to do to maintain long-term peace and blah, 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 and that's like the message, that's the intended message, it's like their moral stance in a way and it's odd because you i mean i, I found myself siding with mccoy most of the episode right You know, I mean he's kind of like jiminy cricket in this thing to for kirk and <laughs> yeah. and then he's kind of like at the end it's kind of like to squash squash jiminy cricket you know and it's like no nope, the right thing to do is keep this armament arm race thing going the balance of power and that's how we're doing and it's like a moral stance even though it doesn't feel like a moral choice, and, and so... Yeah, I mean, I, I agree that's what it's about. It just doesn't feel right for Star Trek.
0: Well, Kirk does show restraint, because he stops Tyree from bashing that guy's head with a rock the, for the third time.
1: <laughs> you know, <he's> like
0: <laughs> bashing his head with a rock, and then he does it a second time, but then Kirk stops him before he does it the third time. So Yeah,
1: that's inhumane. I mean, if you uh, just yeah. shot him, you know, that'd be okay. Sure.
2: Gets really messy after the third time. I think that's all.
0: So, uh, you know, I... I kind of like this episode. I just, I uh, it confuses me for what it's about, but there are enough things I like about it. I, I actually like the Mugatu. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like, the Mugatu came on. I was watching this in one room, in the living room. My wife was in the kitchen. My son was at the dining table. The Mugatu came on. The screaming. And they, she looked over, and my son ran over. My son was incredibly excited. That was, that was that was very exciting to my son. And I could, I looked over, saw my wife, and to her it was just like cheesy '60s show guy in suit, you know, yeah, it was yeah. like uh, in her eyes
2: kind of thing. But I think it's kind of cool. I think it's kind of cool. Like I said, um, I, I like the ceremony where she pulled the poison out of his yeah chest or whatever.
1: Yeah, don't forget the little the little wiggling turd she used to heal him. Yeah. yeah.
0: I like that that Tyree took her as his woman because she rubs him with a plant. Mm. <laughs> That's original. I don't. I haven't really seen that in any right. Yet. Right.
2: Catnip for humans.
0: All right, guys. Uh, let's do six degrees for a private little war. Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Ned Romero plays Krell, the Klingon that likes to supply fire sticks to the natives, in Next Gen's final season and Wesley Crusher's final appearance on Next Gen. Romero played the Native American Anthwara that's getting kicked off his planet. So there were, like, you know, a lot of endings taking place. Name the episode.
1: Hmm.
0: Gave you some clues there in my question.
1: Right. Oh, uh, Journey's End.
0: You are correct. Adam, Romero played Chakotay's grandfather in the Voyager episode The Fight. Which season was that? Three, five, or seven?
2: Uh, I'll say Three
0: no only two options so i will not give that one to steve but it was season five so steve has one
1: we are moving on Return to Tomorrow, Season 2, Episode 20, Production Code 051, Original air Date February 9th, 1968. Directed by Ralph Sininski, written by John Kingsbridge, music composed by George Dunning. Guest cast, guest cast include Diana Muldar as Lieutenant Commander uh, Anne Mulhall, Cindy Lou, Lou as Nurse, Frank Da Vinci as Lieutenant Brent, Eddie Paskey as Lieutenant Leslie, William Blackburn as Lieutenant Hadley, Roger Holloway as Lieutenant Limley, and James Doohan as the voice of Sargon.
2: The Enterprise receives a distress call from a lifeless planet. Upon arrival, a telepathic being named Sargon addresses the crew as my children and insists Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Dr. Ann Mulhall beam down to the planet. The destination coordinates are beneath a hundred miles of rock. Despite McCoy's strong objections, Kurt dismisses concerns about the safety of the party, asserting that if Sargon wanted to kill them, he could have done so already.
1: Risk. Risk is our business. That's what the starship is all about. That's why we're aboard her.
0: All right, we're returned to tomorrow. This is the one that is probably most famous for some lines of dialogue that we all remember. <laughs> <laughs> and that, by that, I'm talking about, your probes have touched me, Mr. Spock.
2: <laughs> we all had that in our notes.
0: <laughs> no, uh, of course, talking about risk is our business. That's what this ship is all about. That's why we're aboard her. Who wrote this episode, Steve?
1: Uh, John Kingsbridge.
0: John Kingsbridge. It's funny, everybody, you know, I don't know how many conventions I've been to where people have just, like, recited that whole speech. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure it's good enough to, to like, survive that much um, (laughs) repetition, uh, but, you know, it's... It's funny that it's in this episode, because I almost never remember this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Honestly, the beginning with the probes, like, that whole section, the whole time I'm like, what the heck episode is this? I do not re- remember this episode. It's not until they they get back on the ship and the three of them take those three bodies. Then I'm like, oh, yes, okay, now I remember this episode. And and
1: it's one of these that the title of the episode doesn't help at all. It's kind of like, what? <laughs> Which one is this? Is this some kind of time travel thing? What did we do? I don't remember this one. Yeah.
0: Tomorrow, return to tomorrow. Tomorrow is yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Steve, what are some of your first thoughts here on return tomorrow? Uh,
1: Yeah, so everything that's been said so far, I agree. This is one of these that I have to kind of get into a little bit for it to jog my memory and so forth. And it kind of, I don't know. I mean, there isn't... It's 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 fine. It's, it's it's odd, you know, it kinda drags. There's this it just the whole in and, and, and the in and the motivation of and of of letting this happen as it does, I don't understand why they would agree to this whole mess and then by the end it's kind of confusing.
0: Oh, I, I have the answer to that. Because risk is our business. Yes. And it that's was, what it was risky. that's why we're aboard her. I'm gonna quote the entire speech every single time. Okay, go
1: ahead. Oh, good. And then it's yeah. Well, risk, risky to uh, make it as confusing as they did, I guess. Took a chance there. But um, Oh, and then, you know, like at one point, also confusing, at one point that uh, the uh, Ann, Dr. Anne Mulhall, she's like, you know, I can just stay in this body, only we will know as if everyone can't hear the reverb on their voice. You know, it's a giveaway. <laughs> and so, yeah, you know, I, I certainly remember this when it gets into it, and there's a lot of odd lines, and I remember it dragging and, and then the confusing, relatively, not confusing, I suppose, but just kind of convoluted ending to, um, you know, Spock inhabiting Chapel and, and the, you know. Yeah, whatever.
0: for all the times I've seen this and thought about that, I still have to like be, okay, wait, what just happened? Exactly? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, okay. I gotta say... I, I, and believe me, I know, I understand how somebody could probably watch it and laugh or something, but I went for me the first time, like, Zargon inhabits Kirk's body when they're down below the surface of the planet, mm. and he's like walks, he turns, turns his back to the camera <laughs> oh, and, he walks yeah. away, and he turns around and he walks back. And the way he's walking, the way he's talking and look, looking at his body or touching him, yes, I actually think that's really good. I think, I think Shatner's acting there is like. Just so courageous, like he just he doesn't he just does it, you know. He, he, yeah, yeah, he I, see I see it. that. I, I respect it completely. I think it's cool. I really like it.
1: I, yeah, I think it's good. I think it does showcase him as a good actor. I mean, I, I think it can be funny. I can definitely see how it could be yeah. funny. It also kind of looks like a acting class scenario oh. too. You know, yeah. it feels like it's like okay, here's what's going on. So this ball, You've been in a you know, ball it's going for five hundred yeah. years.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: And then the, yeah. And, and, and yeah, then speaking of those balls, you know, when they're up on those nightstands in Sick Bay, it all looks like some kinda of, I don't know, this has helped me sleep, you know? Is this like a, <laughs> one of those white noise generator and the uh, soothing yeah. oil smell, something coming out of this? I don't know. Well, Adam, what,
0: what how do you feel about this episode?
2: I pretty much feel the same way. I mean, I didn't remember that um, this was the episode Kirk's monologue episode, you know, Risk is our business till probably about the same time you did. So it's, it's kind of weird. It has such a iconic... There's such Are you a, talking about risk is our business? That's what this ship is all about? That's why we're aboard her? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of weird. It's such an unmemorable episode, yet it has such a memorable scene in it, which makes it kind of weird. Um, obviously, you know, you have the Dr. Pulaski and Mulholland connection, you know, this episode, you know, mm-hmm. connects next gen with, um, you know the original series with Dr. Pulaski in the second season of Next Gen playing the doc. Um, yeah, but it's kind of, un, to me, it's kind of an unremarkable episode. I kind of agree with Steve. It kind of drags at times and it's kind of, it starts, to me, it starts off strong. Um, you know, it's kind of, you got this mystery, this dead planet, you know, you know, the telepathic being beaming through rock. And it seems like once they get on the ship, it just kind of, you know, it just kind of drags and, you know, it's, I don't know, you know, There's not a lot. I don't know. There's not much to it. It's kind of like a letdown to me. That being said, I mean, I I, I like the episode. It's, you know, didn't like go, oh my God, I'm going to watch this again.
0: I think I tried Kirk's line. uh, He has a line in this episode that I think I tried on my high school girlfriend. Can robot lips do this? (laughs) (laughs) I think I did.
2: How did that work out for you? I don't think it did work out, uh, but I think I tried it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they might have had the worst android what is it? it's like I think Hulk. he's
0: cool good old Billy Blackburn you know he's like a, he plays a million roles in the show but he's usually just sitting on the bridge in either Chekhov or Sulu's chair depending on who's not in the episode but uh, I think he I think he looked cool as a little android there they should have done something with that
2: yeah it was just kind of creepy looking just a little yeah, definitely. little that was right. all oiled up on a table <laughs> This kind of strange. Yeah, And
1: it doesn't make any sense that these androids are unfe- I mean, we've already seen androids who are much more dynamic and seem to have feelings and whatnot, at least to a higher degree than this. And this is some genius race that knows how to transfer minds in androids. And the issue is that they can't make a feeling creature to transfer. I don't know. It d- that doesn't. Yeah,
2: yeah it make just make doesn't make sense. work. Yeah, it didn't work, to work. It was like, well, can't you, you know, just get into these androids and then master it? You know, it's not like you have to stay in this thing the whole time. I don't, yeah, it was just kind of a weird. Second like half of the episode was just kind of weird and kind of all over the place.
0: Thing, things are really over all over the place. Like how different they are after the trans, that first time in sick bay when they have their transference out of the spheres. Like everybody's so totally different. Spock is smiling. Kirk, Max, on the girl. Well, that's not so. <laughs> <bad>. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I always think about in that scene. They're like. This is not how you ch- tell me that he's a different person. Well, <laughs> it's the only all they've got going is the uh, the reverb there, but you know,
1: right?
0: It feels mostly like a bottle episode. It's got like this one scene in the beginning that's that has yeah. that has two little rooms, but for the most part, uh, it it feels like a bottle episode on the ship. You know, yeah. Even your even your guest star Diana Moldar, is just a, a regular crew member or something. Mm-hmm. So it feels, I guess what I'm trying to say is, it feels a little, uh, like, oddly small, which is like, it seems to contradict the idea of these, an episode about these beings that have been waiting around for half a million years or something.
1: Mm-hmm. And beings that apparently seeded the galaxy with their, you mm-hmm. know, they, they just kind of, th- th- you know, that's a throwaway throw that line, there. you know. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you know, we may have seeded your planet or
2: your children
0: (laughs) the whatever they're called you know the the network suits that want to make sure everything's nice and kosher they they required that they throw in a line in this episode to kind of back away from that something about earth may have involved independently or something because they didn't want to like oh yeah right pee all over adam and eve and all that stuff
2: (laughs) (laughs) what is this episode about power corrupts i guess Part of it, you know, these beings—they kind of, at least one of them or one or two of them, you know, couldn't handle the temptation of all the power that they could muster from their new bodies. Doesn't matter how intelligent you are or advanced, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think it's kind of temptation. I think it's like if you know, if you let yourself go down this path. In this case, having you know, feeling sensual you know, bodies to inhabit, you know, it's not going to be so simple to just, okay, and then I'll move on because it's the right thing to do from that, you know, it's, I think, the the power of temptation. I don't know that it's particularly strong, what it's about kind of thing, you know, I think the episode doesn't stick to that point enough to make it a, you know, make it a strong point or something, but uh, that's the only thing I've barely got. Do
0: you guys think this is a, you know, a weak episode a not a not good one?
2: Um. Aver- I'll give it average.
1: Yeah, at best, average.
2: Let me C plus C. And how
0: did you, on that same scale? How did you feel about Private Little War then?
2: I thought Private Little War was a better episode structurally and message-wise. I don't think, I, like, it's you know we talked about that before. I don't you know the message that they sent in in that episode was clear. It's just was confusing to mm-hmm. it, it was confusing to have that kind of message sent in Star Trek. Yeah, and I agree I with they, that. Mm-hmm. They did a good job conveying their message in that episode and this one, it's kinda it's not not that great.
0: So further evidence that the structure of our show is a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's do six degrees for return to tomorrow. I believe Steve has one. And, uh, Steve went first last time. Adam? No, I'm gonna give... Because Adam sort of said part of the my other questions answer, so I always give that person that question. So, Steve. Hmm. Diana Muldar plays Anne Mulhall. The woman that thinks having your consciousness float around in a ball sounds fun. In the original series' third season, she will play Miranda Jones. Fill in the blanks in the episode title. Is there in blank, no blank?
1: Is there in truth, no beauty?
0: Yes, but I do think it would have been better if they just called the episode Is There In Blank No Blank.
1: Mm, <laughs> indeed.
0: Yeah. Adam? Yes. Of course we know Our Best for playing Next Gen's Doctor in Next Gen's second season. What was her character's full name? I just want her first and last name.
2: Her full name?
0: Because you said her last name earlier, so I just need you to tell me her first name.
2: First name. Isn't it Doctor? Um...
0: Mm, I don't <laughs> think that's what it said on her birthday.
2: Oh. her first name? Mm I don't know I'll just get Caroline Pulaski. You got the right
0: consonant sound, uh Steve. Is it Catherine? Yes, sir, Catherine Pulaski. Uh Steve
1: has three, moving on. Patterns of Force, season two, episode twenty-one, production code zero fifty-two. Original air date, February sixteenth, nineteen sixty eight. Directed by Vincent McAvede, written by John Meredith Lucas, music composed by George Dunning. Guest cast include David Bryan as Professor John Gill, Chuck Courtney as Devad, Skip Homeyer as Deputy Fuhrer Melikon, Richard Evans as Isok, Patrick Horgan as Chairman Inig, Valora Noland as Daras, William Wintersol as Abram, Paul Baxley as Trooper, Peter Cannon as Gestapo Lieutenant, Gilbert Green as Major, Bart LaRue as Nazi newscaster, Ralph Moore as Lieutenant, Ed McCready as SS Trooper, Eddie Paskey as Trooper, and William Blackburn as Lieutenant Hadley.
2: A Federation cultural observer named John Gill, who was one of Captain Kirk's history professors at Starfleet Academy, has disappeared, and the Enterprise is sent to investigate on the planet Echoes. As soon as the Enterprise enters orbit, it is attacked by a rocket armed with a thermal nuclear warhead. Technology that is no match for the Starship, but too advanced to be from the primitive warlike echoes. Kirk su- suspects Gill may be responsible for the introduction of the advanced technology, which would mean that he has contaminated Exonian culture and hence violated the Prime Directive. I'm Captain James Kirk of the United Spaceship Enterprises and my first officer,
1: Mr. Spock. John Gill, your Fuhrer, was sent here by the Federation as a cultural observer.
0: Patterns of Force. This is one that everybody remembers, I'm sure, just because of the uh, Nazi imagery. This was a time when I don't begrudge them for doing it, right? This is barely 20 years from the war, and everybody would have remembered it. When Enterprise brought in the Nazis, I definitely remember thinking... Nope, I'm sick of the Nazis. I don't need anybody to have Nazis anymore. I'm I'm done. I'm done with the Nazis. Let's move on. But here, I think they do a fairly good job of the balancing act between... I mean, obviously, talking about Nazis is going to be, or should be, uh, a serious thing. And I don't think they go too far with the jokes. Uh, You know, like, Kirk has one line to Spock when Spock puts on the Nazi helmet. He says something like, "'That helmet covers a multitude of sins.'" Yeah, that was a funny line, but I you know, and I don't I don't think it goes too far. Adam? What what do you think about uh... Um
2: no I agree with you and they do uh, um there's a there's a good reason reasoning behind it, you know, obviously the John Gill's character is trying to um save this culture and he thinks that the authoritarian version of um Nazi Germany is the the one thing that can save this culture if it's done properly. Um so I think the reasoning behind the Nazis in this episode is is a pretty is a pretty solid one. Um amazingly enough, yeah there are some amusing moments I kind of found myself just snickering at um at Shatner's betrayal of a, a Nazi, you know, every time he would, you know, come out of a doorway, he'd be like, "Science come." You know, it was, just kind of, it was just kind of amusing to me. Um I it had to have been interesting for um, you know, Nimoy and Shatner to wear nazi uniforms like or anybody i guess on that on that set I, don't, I mean it had to be weird because like you said it was only 20 years after or so after world war ii you know it probably would have been fresh in everybody's memory there so um i like this episode it's it's kind of yeah it kind of takes a second you're like oh nazis but it yeah the reasoning behind it i i believe and um the points that they kind of make in this um episode i think are good ones
1: steve yeah, um I, I think I yeah, again, this is a, obviously a memorable episode and uh I I think it's I think it's um I think it's I think it's interesting. I think it's I think it's a reasonably good episode. It's 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 hard to understand how this character this John Gill would think this is a, a prudent course of action, introduce this regardless of you know his motivations to introduce Nazi Germany that as kind of the, the you know, the way to bring everyone together or whatever. But, um, you know, um, I, I think, I think it makes for an interesting, um, puzzle on how to do it. And, and they see, yeah, they do somehow make the, um, they, they'll, the, the, uh, comedy stuff, they somehow make it work and not be offensive in an episode where everyone's dressed up like Nazis or I mean, I don't, yeah, it's, it's bizarre in a way, you know, but, um, I always like this episode. Okay, I know it's not my favorite by any means, but um, it's engaging and uh, there's a whole lot of twists and turns and getting out of various conundrums and so on. So
0: I always think, uh, you know, Kirk and Spock kind of near the end, they infiltrate the Führer's party and uh, kind of phone a friend, have McCoy come down and help mm-hmm. out. Yeah, and McCoy has to be—he looks drugged, Jim. You know. And then you know, there's there's like the, the scenes of Gil giving a speech, right? And it's just like not moving, not blinking, like in his mouth. and you think this must be how he always gives a speech. And McCoy's like, he looks drugged to me, and you can't okay. help but think, if only the natives had such insight, <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> they could have figured it out for themselves all, you know, much earlier. Yeah. We got to see a shirtless Nimoy for quite a while in this episode, and a bunch of... It looks like lipstick was all over.
0: Now, <laughs> I read this, and I guess it must be true that um, this is the only time Spock is shirtless.
1: Mm. Well, to get all that the makeup, you know, it'd be tedious.
0: Yeah. yeah, he does have that green tinge to him. <laughs> I like how, you know, they first beam down, they get into the Nazi outfits, and they're going to... You know, go into the building, and they're just immediately caught, right? Yeah. I actually like that because it, it's it's not what you expect. It's not what would happen in most of the episodes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this episode is kind of funny. It's like the I don't know the Goldfinger uh, of um, <laughs> of Star Trek episodes. They're just con- you know constantly being sh- shifted around. Here they're caught. They escape. They sneak back in. it Doesn't boil down to a lot, but it kind of keeps it moving.
2: Yeah. That whole transponder and the arm thing got thrown away really quick. That was kind of, that was kind of <laughs> <sad>. <laughs> like. Wouldn't that make a good idea to put transponders in your arm every time you beam down to a strange planet?
0: I don't understand. Like, he's literally, <laughs> I who who does it? Is it Spock or Kirk? I don't even remember which one. But they like they like rip the metal off the. You're you're, you're in a. Prison, a jail. You're ripping that metal off of this bed, and then you're going to cut yourself with it. Yeah, yeah. That does not seem sanitary. No. no. <laughs> I think I'd, I'd I'd ask McCoy for a shot as soon as he got down there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the the only thing that saves it is just kind of amusing seeing the looks on on Kirk's face when when Spock's on his back. Can I only say.
1: <laughs> All right. All
0: right.
2: Well, let's discuss
0: and maybe this will take us into what it's about, but let's kind of discuss, uh, I think, Adam, you mentioned earlier, you like you don't really understand why John Gill thought modeling this, this society after Nazi Germany was going to be a good idea, or maybe that was Steve, sorry, I forget which one you guys said. But my first thought when you said that was hubris, and I think that's what's kind of interesting here, is you've got this academic who, because um, I mean, we know he was a professor or an instructor at the academy um, and is a historian, right? And it was his kind of hubris that I think, which we've seen before, you know, like some Mm -hmm. academics that don't take practical things into account uh, and that failed him here. And his last line as he's dying is, I was wrong. The non-interference directive is the only way even historians fail to learn from history. Um, And maybe this takes us into kind of what it's about, but that, that was my interpretation of John Gill's motivation, you guys have the same thought on that,
2: yeah, I mean, uh, this is one of these episodes you know where they kind of give you the the thesis of what it's about, and that's especially in that last line that that Gill you know recites and kind of kind of encompasses what the episode is about, you know, I think um the Nazi Germany is just um what what's the best way to put the it's just kind of put an exclamation point on it, you know like this doesn't work don't interfere and that's just kind of just put it in your face type of thing um i don't know if i'm saying that the best way but it's kind of how i felt about it
1: and kind of a a secondary note on the as far as what it's about that uh, you know early on in the episode relatively early on there's something the um the 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 race of people that's getting you know pressed down and persecuted and whatnot they one of them says without us there's nothing to hold them together you know without us to hate there's nothing to hold them together you know and, and well obviously this john gill wouldn't have said okay we'll be nazis and then we'll pick out some race of people to hate and persecute and that'll help you not unify us i mean that's the point but it's it's uh it it is true i mean these kind of things lead to things you know i mean if if
2: Unintended consequences. Yeah,
1: unintended. Yeah, it's an unintended consequence of that kind of thing. Is that like, if you're gonna be that kind of, have that kind of organization to your government or your society and whatnot,
0: or let's say you're gonna be a world leader in today's society, mm-hmm. and you you mobilize your followers, uh, you give them a target.
1: Yeah, that's the easiest way to do it.
0: Minorities. Yep. Fear.
1: Yeah. I mean, one could argue the where where is that going to stop? Exactly. I mean, one could argue that the entire populist movement, you know, going around the around the globe, or at least here and in Europe and so on, that we're seeing is is somewhat based on that. You know, it's the it's the fear surrounding um, the belief that there are certain religions and races that are you know initiating violence and this kind of thing. You know, broad generalizations. So let's all hate them together, and we all come together. I mean, that's That's a lot of it, you know, and so it's an unintended, I mean, for in this episode, it's an unintended consequence, no doubt, because I don't believe this John Gill would be cool with that notion. It's like, oh, yeah, if we kill a bunch of people when i set this up, that'll be fine. I don't think that was his intent, but I think there's just a natural course to things like
2: this. The mistake that he made about Nazi Germany is, you know, it was authoritarian, you know, dictatorship. It didn't, um, whereas, like, countries like the United States and others in Europe were... More institutional governments, where you know you had the the power was spread out amongst the government um so authoritarian governments they might be successful for mm-hmm. for a little while, but they generally fade themselves out or burn themselves out one way or another.
0: I like the idea that that again that last thing that John Gill says is he's dying. Uh, you know the non-interference directive is the only way I even historians fail to learn history um, I like the idea that uh, you know he's saying we can't take our experience and graft it onto this totally different culture mm-hmm. uh, the just the only way to to ensure that we don't mess up these societies or that we don't that we don't see that, that we can look at them with an unbiased view is to just not interfere and let them develop in their own natural way because there are always going to be things uh, about this society that we as outsiders don't quite understand don't understand or can't see the what could end up being the consequences of a choice and so the only right thing to do is to not interfere
1: Mm -hmm.
2: I mean, it seems it seems to be um, counter to the message that we got from Private Little War. That's maybe that's why it's um, Private Little <laughs> War. You know, when we yeah. watched these two episodes. You know, they bookended today's podcast. So you know, you have clearly one message in um, Private Little War, and then you have the exact opposite.
0: Well, and I'm not saying it's right or anything, but I think Kirk, what Kirk is getting at in Private Little War is because the Klingons have interfered, we need to interfere to compensate for the Klingons' interference. You right. know. That was verbose, but you know what I mean. Mm. So he's he's not trying to like consciously interfere. He's trying to Fix. compensate for the Klingons' incorrect choices. In his own way, he's trying to get them back he on, on a self-determining path. But yeah, it is. So, so where does this episode stack compared to the other two we discussed today for you guys?
1: The best one, probably.
2: That's probably the best of the of the three. Um, like I said, I, I liked Private Little War, um, even though it's an unusual episode. Um, but those two, and then tomorrow.
0: Tomorrow is tomorrow, tomorrow, yesterday, today?
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's a good title, but it has nothing to do with the name of the, ep- with the, with the episode. Generic um,
0: original series names. Yeah. I bet there's generic. like an internet computer program that yeah, can yeah, just no, generate no. those for you. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> battlefields of patterns. (laughs) Patterns of tomorrow. (laughs) The force of yesterday. All right. Uh, I believe Steve has three. Adam? Yes. You going first or second?
2: Why not go first?
0: All right. So listen to the question carefully. There may be hints in the question. Skip. Skip. Homier? Homier? I don't know how to say his last name. Plays Melikon, the real power behind these new Nazis. In the original series' third season, he plays the hippie doctor in The Way to Eden. What is the name of the mythical planet that the renegade hippies are searching for? Eden? You are correct, Steve. (laughs) Name a previous episode. (laughs) Uh, Name a previous episode of the original series that referenced Nazi Germany.
1: Hmm, okay A previous episode that referenced Nazi Germany Oh, um, City on the Edge of Forever
0: Very good, uh, four to one
1: It's not a shutout
0: Alright, uh, you guys see that Uh, they avoided that Rider strike at the last yes. minute, so maybe yes. we'll Actually not delay Star Trek Discovery Again <laughs> We might actually get it this calendar year Heaven forbid So Still kind of following mm-hmm. all that news and excited about all that
2: But other than that Not a lot going on Mm-hmm. What movies are you looking most forward to this year, Brian?
0: Movies that I'm most looking forward to? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was pretty excited about The Circle, and it turned out to be solid, just because I'm I I think Silicon Valley is kind of interesting and stuff like that. But uh, probably another STX movie, uh, Valerian, the Luc Besson movie, comes out this summer. Oh, Yeah, that's right. That one I'm pretty high on. Spider Man. Yeah, there's there's definitely some exciting stuff. I'm sure everybody's excited about Last Jedi. Fine. Did you guys see that the mashup somebody did of the last I think it was on on Trek Movie site where they they mashed up the Last Jedi teaser with the Star Trek Into Darkness teaser? Basically, they took the audio from the Into Darkness teaser and put it on top of the Last <laughs> Jedi teaser. No, I haven't it's seen it. Exactly. It's exactly structurally it's identical so it totally works. It's really funny. It'll it'll make you uh start seeing through every trailer that you that, you, that you experience. You're <laughs> like, ah, yeah, same structure, same structure. That's why when you see something different, it really blows you away like that first home Spider Man homecoming trailer. But anyway. Um why what are you most excited about, Adam?
2: I don't know, I was just asking since we were yeah, you know, all right. we were talking about movies and the pre show stuff.
0: Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah all right folks thank you for spending an hour with us we will be back in two weeks to discuss the next three episodes of the original series i believe two weeks after that we will just have two episodes to discuss as we close out the second season but two weeks from now we will have our uh... three episodes like normal and um... you can follow us on facebook facebook.com slash trekcompanion our twitter handle is at trekcompanion you can send us an email trekcompanion at gmail.com thank you again See you in two weeks. And until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See you. I passed it.